Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. So welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. I'm actually here in Nikiski, Alaska, and we got literally almost probably a foot of snow, maybe even more. We were only supposed to get about six inches, and uh, man, it came down. And uh, so we haven't had an episode probably for about a week. I was at a um, family member's wedding down in Sonoma County, and it was a blistering 97 degrees down there, so I'm back in Alaska and uh, we have a special guest today. Tomorrow, we're going to have um, Junior, who's the chief uh, equity officer for the city of Anchorage. He'll be on the show. And then Friday, we'll have uh, Pastor Ron from uh, Anchorage Baptist Temple on at 9 a.m. Just uh, sharing about what he's up to, what his church is up to, and how faith intersects with politics. But today, we have none other than Senator Mike Shower. Senator, welcome to the Mustard Alaska Show. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks. Good to be back. Sorry about this morning. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Well, I'm super happy that you're, that you're uh, on with us today. And, you know, one of the things I just want to get right out the gate is um, your opponent uh, issued kind of like a press release, I would say. And one of the statements in there was pretty, uh, pretty scathing accusation. And I'm just going to read it here if I could find it. Um, had it pulled up and I don't know where it went to, but he basically just said that you have missed, there it is, Mike Shower was absent for 25% of the votes taken during his time in office. This is not an accusation. This is a verifiable, factual statement. And I read that and I thought to myself a couple things, and then I'll let you chime in. I thought to myself, that's probably not a true fact. Everybody misses votes, but 25% seems very high. And then I also thought to myself that I am proud of the senators and the people in the House that have day jobs, because I think that one of the things that leads and lends people to kind of going into the swamp is that the only thing they do is politics. And I think that our, you know, the way that our Senate and House was set up was that you're not necessarily making this huge living. You're only in the session for 90 days to sometimes 120, and that it opens yourself up to having a full-time or another part-time job, which I appreciate. And I think you've done that through, you know, flying through with FedEx. And I think folks in your district appreciate that. So uh, what what's your response to an accusation like that? Well, that's a lot packed in, so I'll try not to talk too fast, <laughs> but there's a lot going on there. Um, so, yeah, uh, first of all, let's respond to that, you know, kind of how we got here with this. So uh, one of the district chairs of the two Republican districts in, in the Senate district had fired off a series of articles. And the, the last one a couple of weeks ago had some um, information, uh, a lot of it very negative about my opponent. And it was coming from a, a whistleblower trooper. I read it, saw this stuff and I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff there. And the next thing you know, um, my opponent fires back and accuses me of being, you know, this uh, district chair is my operative. Well, I got news for you. I didn't ask for this to be written. I don't want any part of this. I told him before the campaign started, I run a clean campaign. I don't do this. And this stuff came out. And so they were firing back and forth. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't do this stuff. I'm not going to be a part of this. Well, he dragged my name into it. He asked for that. You know, that's fair game. 
And he said, well, showers miss 25%, you know, what you just said with that quote. I'm like, hmm, let me just check that. Let me see. Maybe I was <laughs> gone for 25%. And I took, it took me about 30 minutes, Jonathan. That's how hard it was to go back right into the Alaska legislator, legislature website, akleg.gov. I sat down and tallied up every vote, about a thousand votes in the five years, four and a half years I've been there. Missed just over a hundred, not including special session stuff where, you know, that, you know, we do have a citizen legislature. Those of us with jobs can't necessarily just drop everything and show up. Right. And so um, I missed just over a hundred. So it's actually about 10 and a half percent, roughly, is what I missed. That's not even close to 25 percent. Some legislators have missed more than that. Some have missed less. I'm kind of in the middle of the pack. Um, and I looked at every other senator just to have a rough feel for it. Wouldn't you know it, there's not a single legislator, even the one that's missed the most um, out of it, it wasn't me by a long shot, um, didn't even come close to missing 25%. So I don't know if they just can't do math. I don't know if he's getting bad advice from somebody campaign saying, that's what, just say it, just throw the accusation out there, or if they're being dishonest. Any of those are troublesome to me, Jonathan, because you can't make those kind of wild claims and say that because that shows a very dishonest and false narrative, especially when it's something that can be proven in about 15 minutes of doing simple math, which is exactly what I did. So it's absolutely factually untrue and a little disappointing that they would actually do that. In addition to that, since you asked that question too, um, yeah, we're citizen legislature and everybody misses some votes. And I put it in a, an article I wrote and I did put a counter to that in, in a must-read article because I said, you know, so people, people aren't going to get upset at me for missing a funeral you know, missing votes for a funeral. Michelle's emergency back surgery that took me out for the end of two weeks of one of the sessions towards the end, you missed some votes. I had to be there for that. Didn't know that coming in a, in a family wedding. Those things happen. Like you said, life happens. Life doesn't stop for four or five months out of the year because you're in session. I burn all my personal leave, all my vacation to make sure I block off that four months to be there. I have not missed very much, but I've missed some. Like, like I said, life happens. And some of those events are just things that happen. There's not much you can do about it. So I've missed almost nothing, ironically, of my other job because I plan to be there. I make sure I'm there for that. So um, I lose a lot for that as far as income and, you know, seniority and other things, but I stepped up to serve and that just comes with the territory. And the final point we were kind of talking about it before we started is I was looking at that and I agree with you. We are a citizen legislature. I get concerned that we have mostly retired, wealthy, and um, people that have a spouse with a job good enough to let them go be a politician full-time. As far as I can tell out of the 13 Republicans in the Senate, two of us actually have a job, Senator Myers and myself. There might be another one, I'm not sure that there is, that has to work in the private sector, come home, pay the bills, be a part of that and work to survive. And I go, that's important to have because otherwise you end up with DC. Permanent politicians, professional, look at the mess that gave us. These people are completely out of touch. My opponent talks about, well, I'm retired, so I can be a full-time politician. I'm like, that's not what we need, partner. We need people that are in touch with the working folks that have to go out and pay their bills and be in the economy. And I don't think that's a strength. I think that's a weakness. Yeah, one of the I have a problem with it, but not not that many. I kind of didn't realize there was so few of us that were actually working outside of being a politician. I think that's a problem. Yeah, I uh, I I appreciate uh, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican and you have a part time job outside or a full time job outside of uh, being an elected official. I think that that helps keep your ear to the ground for actual problems that normal people are going through and. Um, I had Senator Rob Myers on, uh, I don't know, it was maybe a year or so ago, and he was in his truck while we were doing the Must Read Alaska show, and I just thought that that was the coolest thing ever. Only in Alaska, maybe South Dakota or North Dakota or something like that, you're going to get a senator that's doing his day job during, and I think you're doing your day job now probably, so um, I think well, that this... 
You know, one more point to that, Jonathan. You talked about, you know, kind of, a, you know, the campaign stuff, the whispers that are going around. I have not talked about my opponent negative. I haven't written negative about him. Don't talk about him. But I'll give an example, you know, that I think people need to understand this because he said in the article, well, I don't like this negative stuff and I'm going to come out and, uh, you know, I'm basically going to, uh, you know, just say, well, you know, uh, I've been trying to run a clean campaign. I said, if that's the case, then explain to me why he invited two weeks ago, just th over two weeks ago, Senator Josh Reback to his campaign event in Big Lake and because somebody told me about it, called me and told me they were there. He allowed Josh Reback to get up in front of the crowd for 10 minutes and impugn my character, my motive, and just tear into me and, and character assassinate me. I go, that's not clean campaigning. And you did that before that article even came out. So, you know, when you see things that happen like this, I'm getting hit by Randy Rudrick and some other stuff. I know you may talk about that, but this, this clean campaign thing, it, it's not, it's, it's always frustrating and it's disappointing. I wish we weren't doing it at all. The article I wrote for Must Read as a retort to what was happening was like, you know, let's stay focused on the issues. I'm not going to get drugged into this mudslinging. We need to be talking about all the important stuff, a comprehensive fiscal plan and energy policy, judicial reform, election reform, all the stuff we're going to talk about bill-wise. That's the stuff that matters, Jonathan. That's what the people care about, the yeah. PFD, not, not mudslinging and who did what and whatever. So that's not helpful. It's not moving us forward. So we need to, no, we just, we don't need to be doing that. So one of the things that I think, you know, was very important to folks um, my timeline is probably not correct here, but a number of years ago was the binding caucus in the Alaska State Senate. If, you know, you couldn't turn on your Facebook or Twitter without somebody saying something about the binding caucus and usually having it be a negative thing. The people, the everyday person in Alaska did not like the binding caucus. You had people running on platforms to get elected to say, we're going to take away the binding caucus. We're going to go after the binding caucus. Well, there was one man in particular that kind of took this on his mantle and made sure that it was going to be killed. And that was you. And so I think people, you know, there's obviously other folks that helped and whatnot, but um, I think people, um, you know, it's quick to forget about that. And even I have to remind myself sometimes that that must've been a huge thing to undertake. So give us just a little snippet of why that was important to you and how, how you were able to be successful in kind of killing that binding caucus. So, yeah, there weren't nobody was really talking about it when I got there. And I know it's been off, you know, a little bit of an issue, but I've made it a seminal issue. I've kind of planted flags that this is important for this state. And I don't think anybody else has done that. Because you remember in 2018, I was appointed the very first thing it is that I'm not joining your caucus. You can't tell me how I'm going to vote because I started looking at it, research and thinking, wait a minute. So I have to join your team. But to join your team, I have to agree to give you my vote on the budget. And I have to give you my vote on any procedural things that I have learned since then can be used as a political weapon to move or stop bills. They do it all the time. No, oh, it's not how it works. I'm like, that's absolutely how it works. And that <laughs> is what it does. And so I said, I'm not joining your binding caucus. And I started making this thing. And I had videos about it. And I talked about it over and over to get it to be a, I wanted it to be a household word in Alaska. I wanted people to know that this is not how we do ethical business. And quite frankly, when you look at the statutes, it says, you know, you cannot, you know, force a sitting legislator, elected official to vote for or against anything. And yet that's exactly what the Binding Caucus does, because it's the power of coercion. Coercion is a class B felony in Alaska. If you told me to vote for something or against something and somehow enticed me, either gave me money, promised mm -hmm. me something and then threatened me if I didn't. Guess what would happen? <laughs> I'm going, going to jail. That's <laughs> I'm going right. to go to jail. But in Alaska. In the legislature, your your Senate president, your House Speaker, and others that have power and have been there while they can twist arms like that all day long and go, Mike, if you don't vote for this, I'm taking away your chairmanships, which is worth something, money and power. I'm taking away your committees. I'm taking away your staff. I'm harming your staff by taking away their pay. All of those things happen 
on a regular basis. They happen to me real time. Kathy Giesel did it. She ruled with an iron fist. She punished her Republican colleagues because we didn't vote the way she wanted us to. And she used the power of coercion to try to twist it. And then she took away all of our chairmanships. Speaking of Josh Revac, he took both of my committee chairmanships and committees. And he says, well, I don't agree with what they did. Well, you must, Josh, because you took my committees when they slaughtered me and they stripped away all of my stuff so I couldn't represent my district. You took all my committee chairmanships, literally. Don't tell me you didn't agree with it. And they took it from Shelly Hughes and Laura Reinbold and some other stuff. And so um, my point And they take is, staff. They literally, yeah. they, and, you know, just this was, I think, something that tugged at the heartstrings of folks that I've talked to is that imagine having a binding caucus and the leader of that binding caucus gets perturbed by something that you do. And now you have to go fire two of your staff that, have planned their family's life around having this job. And because somebody got offended because some vote you did or didn't do, your staff now have to pack up. And I just think that's, if that's not a crime, I don't know. I don't know what, what is when it comes to core. Only because of their personality and they don't like what you're doing. So they want to control you and tell you how it is. So the last big point of that binding caucus, because that's what it does. It tells people how you're going to vote. And you got to be on the team and do pretty much. And so what we've done, Jonathan, is we've handed the power of 60 legislators, the super branch, the most powerful branch, the people's representation, the most across the state, that big body that comes in, right? And everybody should have an equal voice and a say. And we consolidate that power into the hands of just a few on binding caucus. And those few in leadership run everything under a binding caucus. The House has still had one because the Democrats have controlled it. They've had a binding caucus. It's one of the reasons you haven't had a PFD. If you want to know why you got a full PFD for the first time in seven years out of the Senate, now you know, granted the House stripped that down a little bit with, with Democrats in control. Well, guess what? There was no binding caucus in the Senate, brother. And you know what happened when I put that amendment in? Everybody was allowed to vote the way they wanted to. And guess what happened? That actually made it through 10 to 9. If there was a binding caucus, there would have been no statutory PFD leaving because they would have guaranteed it and they would have threatened us with chairmanships and taken all of our stuff away had we voted that way. So the binding caucus is a terrible idea. I called, as you know, I went when, when this happened back in 2019 and, and actually January 2020, they stripped us of all of our stuff. Kathy Giesel, first Stedman, and, and I hear, you know, like Josh, well, you know, or even my opponent go, well, you talked about Stedman. Stedman is part of the problem. He's the one that did it. Him and Kathy Giesel and John Coghill, they are the ones that force other people to go a certain way. Of course, I'm going to fight that. I don't work for the caucus. I don't work for leadership. I don't work for a party. I work for people in my district. You're not going to tell me how to vote. And my, even it. my opponents out there go, oh, I'm going to take a collaborative approach. Well, you know what that means, binding caucus. And he's going to sell your vote to leadership. I don't care what you say. If you do that, that's what you're doing. Last point. You know, Michelle and I went around for four months after that happened because they gave me nothing but time when they took away all my committees to sit there and actually resource this. And I found out and called legislators, about 150, every other state in the union found out not one other state, zero, used this binding caucus. And most of them said, Mike, what are you doing in Alaska? Are you a banana republic? That's unconstitutional. That's unfair, not democratic. That's a terrible idea. It's against our oath in Missouri or Mississippi. It's against their oath. It actually says it. You cannot promise to vote for or against anything. They'd be violating their oath. Dude, it's not a good idea, and it needs to go away, and, and we have been successful to this point. One of my campaign promises was trying to fight that thing and get rid of it. I have a bill that made it illegal. My opponent also claims, oh, we can't move any bills like Randy Rujic says, that baloney. I got the binding caucus all the way to the rules chair, ready to go to the floor for a vote. And you know what? Gary Stevens doesn't like that because it's going to put on record. He killed it, wouldn't let it go through. I got it through the whole body, right? Just like I got a few other things through, and I just I can't get it past these the old guard. You know, in the uh, Senate, they won't let those things go through, like election integrity. I got it all the way through, brother. You say, oh, he can't move it. I got it all the way through the Senate. You know where it stopped? 
I got one hearing in finance. They didn't like it. Bert Stebbin and Clickman said, we're not moving that bill. Important to Republicans and conservatives, they're not moving the bill. That's the reason to stop. They, they killed it. These, these are people in our own party of issues that are important to people in the party, and they killed the bill. Don't tell me I can't move bills. I can get them all the way through, but you get one or two people in a position of power, and they kill it, and that's what they did. And, of course, the other side is that, you know, yeah, like we're going to get election integrity that's conservative through the House controlled by Democrats. Give me a break. <laughs> so what are you going to do, man? That's that's the way the system is set up. So, you know, I I don't take on easy issues, Jonathan. That's part of the problem, Randy. Yeah, you're not you're not taking on naming a bridge here. This is a little yeah. different. <laughs> He's like, well, you know, we need people, you know, move bills because that's an effective legislator. Well, then Gary Stevens, the most effective legislator we had, he moved like 10 bills. But they were all like extending a board date. They were like naming a bridge and whatever. And those things need to be done. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a negative thing about them. But if that's your your measure, your metric, well, that doesn't mean anything. What are, are they important bills? I'm not taking on. I could name bridges, too, and have stuff, you know, that was done in my name. I'm taking on election integrity. I'm taking on judicial selection. I'm taking on a comprehensive fiscal plan, the PFD, energy policy. Those are hard things to do. I'm not taking the easy stuff because I don't I don't want to waste my time or the people's time. I want the big stuff done that matters to the state. Good luck seeing nobody else try to get election integrity through. You know why? One, they were going to be called a white supremacist and a racist by the ADN editorial board. Yeah, they did that to you, didn't they? Right? The second thing is it's hard to do. So I'm I'm doing the hard. This is like JFK. I've used that quote before. I said, we choose to go to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Senator Schauer chooses the hard things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard and need to be done. And then I get people like my opponent, Randy Ruger, going, Mike Schauer hasn't moved any bills. Yeah, good luck moving them. If you want to go do the easy stuff, fine, but that's not why I'm there. I'm there to solve problems. It makes it hard. So I appreciate that perspective. It seems like um, your opponent is running a mostly negative campaign. Um, do you have any uh, thoughts on, you know, addressing any other the allegations or accusations or things that you're proud of that refute some of the things that he's talked about? Um, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, there's a couple of points. I mean, we just we addressed the 25 percent, which is either, like I said, it's a <laughs> I think we addressed that, didn't we? Are we yeah. talking about? So, uh, um, you know, either they're really bad at math or, uh, you know, it's a false narrative just trying to hurt somebody. And it is it is a smear campaign because it's a it's a very easily disprovable false, you know, uh, piece of information. Um, you know, there's some other people like a current board member on the Matsu Assembly that's been spreading, uh, you know, falsehoods all summer, you know, buddies um, with the, the I call it the Wasilla Mafia. You know, that's why I'm, I'm dealing with the old power elites, you know, in Wasilla, and they're all kind of tied together. A former mayor was doing the same thing, talking about they could say, oh, he, this is we, and I know this because we're getting asked this. People come, well, Mike, so and so, you know, this mayor just said, you know, that uh, you never go to Valdez. You hate him. Like, I go there like three times a year. I've been going there for like 25 years through before I was in politics. What? And they're just and you're like, holy mackerel that. Oh, and this boat thing, you know, you you flipped off Massey and his family. What? No, we didn't. And then you find out it was actually his friend, you know, you, so you're seeing these things being spread. It's been happening, you know, when they say, oh, well, I've been trying to keep it clean all summer. This stuff has been going on all summer. I've said nothing. I've just let it go. Yeah. You know, oh, it invites Josh Reed back up, a sitting senator, a colleague, a Republican colleague, and then lets him impugn my character for 10 minutes at his campaign event in Big Lake and says, oh, well, you know, we're, we're keeping it clean. No, you're not. This has been going on the whole time. What's going on with that district chair? That district chair, I said, before, took me to task five years ago because wasn't happy that I was running for the Senate. Don't don't tell me that's my operative. It's not. So I'm here. It's it's just kind of like the thing where you accuse somebody else of what you do and try to get it to stick to them. So I get what it is. It's it's that kind of politics. It's late in the game. Perhaps sometimes this is a, a, a pang of desperation. 
if you think the other person is starting to win, you tend to go negative. That's almost always what happens in campaigns. And I, I just don't want any part of it, Jonathan. There's lots of stuff going on. I've been focused on the issues, and that's my point. I want to stay focused on the issues and all these things we talked about that matter, you know, that comprehensive fiscal policy. We desperately need it as a state. Businesses, we're never going to be open for business if we don't have a stable tax environment and we don't get our fiscal house in order. Nobody's going to want to invest. There's so many things we need to be working on, and that's why I put that article out in Must Read. Let's so top, at, what's the top two or things. three things you want to work on uh, the day after you're reelected? Well, one of the things I'll tell you, I think that's become top of the list because there are a lot of things up there, but it's kind of purple its way to the top. And that would be the repeal of ranked choice voting. I think everybody in the state just about, unless it benefits them, wants that thing gone. I already have that bill pre-filed and ready to go. I know George Rousher and a few other House members have some bills filed too. So I think there's going to be a slew of bills to, to uh, strip ranked choice voting out and get rid of that um, just as soon as we can. And if there's enough, you know... Uh, people doing it, that'd be great. And my opponent doesn't, and this is an important point. And this is not to, you know, negative. I want to talk about the issues. That's my whole point with my two of us in the race this entire season, this entire summer has been listed to talk about the issues. Where do we stand? Well, my opponent is, has a very vague <clears throat> website and doesn't talk about all these issues. It's like, you know, well, I, I've been a lifelong Alaskan. And, you know, that's your qualification. I was in law enforcement, you know, as a, as a game warden trooper for 25, four years, whatever. That doesn't tell me anything. I want to know what your position are on the issues. He supports a defined benefit plan. He said it. Well, we know that's unaffordable for all states. 25,000 state employees. We can't afford that. So that's not a doable option. Um, we know there's a difference, for example, in the PFD. I say, I'm going to follow the law. And that equals statutory PFD unless we change it. Well, he says he's going to do the Burt Stebbin PFD. Whatever the state can afford after the state is fed in water, the people get what's left over. That's right off his website. Those are significant differences. I want to talk about the, the key issues. And one of them is repealing ranked choice voting. And then election integrity to make sure <clears throat> that people on the left and the right are they have faith restored. Well, he doesn't talk about that at all. That's nowhere in his speeches. That's nowhere in his platform literature website. So repealing ranked choice voting, election integrity, Jonathan, judicial selection, how we choose our judges is a big deal. Getting rid of the Missouri plan or the merit plan, because guess what? Even Missouri doesn't use it anymore. I think that's ironic. Almost no state does now. So that's a big deal to me. And I almost got that through the Senate, right? Just like I almost got election integrity through. But like I said, that was killed by other Republicans uh, in the Senate and uh, that comprehensive fiscal policy. Those are big issues that we have to do. And those are things I've been working on the whole time. Now, I will tell you, you talk about binding caucus, you know, I, I have been successful in killing that in the Senate and that was a campaign promise. So good there. And, but I almost got the bill through. Like I said, Gary Stevens rules chair killed it after I got it through the rest of the body. Um, and we repealed SB 91. That was a big deal too. That was a key campaign promise. Shelly Hughes and I were with Willikowski, ironically, who was also against it. And the three of us were the Senate members, and we did repeal SB 91, and we had three House members on the other side. So four of us were for the repeal. Chuck Kopp, ironically, who's running my opponent's campaign, and Matt Clayman, far left Democrat at Anchors, were both wildly against repealing SB 91. Oh, yeah. So you kind of see where, you know, the, the loyalties lie in all this. But um, so some of the campaign promises have been fulfilled, like I said, repealing SB 91, binding caucus um, for now. Um, but the one thing that we haven't solved, that's PFD. But that's part of the comprehensive fiscal policy. And, you know, yeah, we can talk more about it if we have time, but that was a part of that group I was on last year um, created by leadership to solve our problems. We gave them plans that work to balance the budget moving forward, including solving the PFT and the spending cap. And they didn't even look at it, didn't even look at it. And frankly, Jonathan, that's when I crossed the line on the Constitutional Convention, too. I said, that's I think the only way it's going to uh, be solved is if the people take this back because the legislature and the special interests and big union leadership and others that um, control the state, really, 
they're not interested in solving the problems. You said it yourself a few minutes ago. They're, they're not interested in solving those problems because that's that's where they get their power from. So power. real quickly, uh, because I think this is important, even though I, you were on the show um, and stated your position on the Constitutional Convention, um, what is your position and why is your position what it is? So I've been misrepresented a number of times in the last you know, few weeks, right? They've been using words on the, on the Senate floor from a year and a half ago when I clearly said I was still a no vote. If you had asked me, I've always voted no in the past. And I still held a sliver of hope uh, even then in that floor speech where they're saying, you know, Mike Shower says this is dangerous if we do this. Well, I've been saying that for some time. And my point has been that I believe it's the legislature's job to do this. And I had a sliver of hope even at the end of last year's session, the previous year, that maybe we would solve those problems. And that those are those speeches going, guys, we got to solve this. It's dangerous if we don't do it. That's our job. We can take time. Now, the Constitutional Convention also takes time. It's going to run just like legislature, right? You're going to have committees and you're going to propose amendments and it's going to be the vetting process and arguments and legal and all that stuff. So it happens just like the legislative body. It's not like it's going to go fast. It's just I believe that's our job. But after that fiscal policy working group, Jonathan, after the leadership, Peter Machicki, Louis Stutes, they made this group, put seven Democrats, five Republicans together, and we all stepped off of our positions and figured out a way ahead that worked, that was fair and balanced, that everybody didn't quite like. That's your best compromise, right? But it solved the problem. And then they ignored it. I said, that's it. I'm done. I said, there's no way we're ever going to solve this. We got one shot right now. And that's where the Constitutional Convention, where the people themselves will actually take the power back. You will, the people have, they control it, right? They got three votes. They vote for it or against it. They vote for the delegates. So they're going to choose who goes. And then anything that comes out of the convention, they get to approve or reject it the next general election. Those things will be on the ballot. So, yeah. um, so I just, it, it, that's how I cross that line. And it's unfortunate that the no votes and the others are so unethical again that they're going to use my own words against me out of context um, because they know it's out of context and they know I fully support it now for that very reason. But again, Jonathan, what's it come down to? Like all things, power. They know that if the Constitutional Convention is voted yes, and we put good delegates there, capping you know the the spending of the state, protecting the PFD from their little paws getting on it and taking that money, things like that, maybe how we choose our judges, those things they lose control, they lose power, and that's what they're afraid of most is losing power, and that's why all of this money, dark money, ironically flowing in from out of the state to oppose a Constitutional Convention. Why would George Soros and the 1630 Fund be pouring millions of dollars into Alaska? To oppose a constitutional convention, don't you think that's kind of odd? <laughs> that's a, isn't that a little bit of money? a red flag there? <laughs> Where's that money coming from? It's all coming from somewhere else. It's coming from um, out of the state, over 90% of it, to oppose this. And you got to look at who's doing you know, big union leadership, not anti union, I'm in a union, but big union leadership, as political as anybody, um, special interests, big lobbyists. There's a lot of folks that got their fingers in the government pie and they get their money and their power from that. And they're not going to let that go easily. And they know doggone good and well if we vote for Constitutional Convention, Jonathan, guess what? Some of those things might very well go away that, that is power, the levers of power they've had for a long time. And so they're scaring people. Oh, it's dangerous. Don't do it. It's expensive. It's all these bad things. First of all, $17 million is the highest estimate. And I guarantee it's going to be probably a lot less than that. That's less than one half of one day's operating expense of this state. And the people that write, and think about that number, less than one half of one day's operating expense, it would be the entire Constitutional Convention. And the people that write billions of dollars of checks for the state don't bat an eye, but now they're worried about $17 million. That's laughable. Um, and then this has happened hundreds of times across the nation. There have been hundreds of hundreds of constitutional conventions. The second oldest constitutional entity on the planet, little state in the Northeast, 
has had over 200 constitutional conventions. They're getting along just fine. It's not dangerous. It's a healthy part of the process. It returns power to the people, scares the heck out of the deep swamp that would lose power. That's what it's about. Don't yeah. be afraid of it, folks. It happens. It's a normal, healthy part of the process. And our founders who created the Constitution put it in there point, for a reason. Put it there for a reason. If it's such a good Constitution as they claim, well, those people also put that in there. And it's a part of that Constitution because they knew there might come a time when the people had to take some of that power back and do it themselves. It's about power, my friend. Well, I appreciate it. How can uh, somebody get involved in your campaign if they want to help knock on doors? make phone calls, cut a check for 25 bucks. What? Tell us your websites and where you're at. Well, if you go to uh, mikeshower.com, that's uh, had to buy my name, right? Like we all do these days and be savvy online, mikeshower.com. And on there, it's got donate and endorse and information if you still wonder who I am or what I support. My website is not vague. It's not generalities. It's very specific on what I support. And I have a record for everybody to see, including like, so when I had to look up the claim, well, he's missed 25% of the votes. No, I haven't. But you got to be able to prove it because once you say something, that kind of sticks. So go to MikeShower.com. You can still go to my uh, Senate page, my state Senate page. You can go on there if you want to look at the record, you know, how I voted, those kinds of things. I'm on Facebook, Mike Shower for Senate. You can reach out there and it's got, you know, um, a phone number on it, an email, and you can certainly do all those things. And uh, we're getting inputs from people. But I got to tell you, man, when <laughs> when Jonathan, the uh, Senate president and the elites and the Republican Party leadership gave a thousand dollars to my opponent and a thousand dollars to me, but they didn't. And that was out of the Senate majority fund, which was for incumbent Republicans in the Senate. And they gave money to my opponent and they did not do that for any other senator in the state. Our fundraising dramatically increased. People were very upset. I even got a thousand dollars from the Kenya Women's Republican Club, the Senate president's own backyard. They gave me money to offset nice. it, and uh, thousands of dollars from the ladies and uh, you know up in uh, the, the uh, Matsu Valley as well. And remember, man, I'm the only guy that is, uh, that is talking about Randy Ruger and stuff. I'm the only one that's endorsed. I'm endorsed by both Republican districts, both Republican Party districts, and the State Central Committee. My opponent is not. And yet we got Randy Rudrick coming in and throwing articles and, and heat around, you know, part of the original CBC. And so, you know, when people are helping and just, you know, most of our donations, Jonathan, are small. I don't have big packs. I don't have any packs. No union backing as opposed to my opponent. Mine is all from regular Alaskans, mostly 20 to $100. And we have hundreds of them, hundreds. Um, and so those people helping, Jonathan, has been huge because it shows grassroots support. And our fundraising is significantly higher um than our opponent was and that's since the primary so it's been fantastic the people have stepped up with donations to help us reach the people um, we have stepped up our ground game because we spent a lot of time big lake and kgb because that's where they didn't know us when we were redistricted into that backyard um and you know we're mailing out flyers to the whole district radio ads we're saturating everything now and that's because the people because they donated and helped us to be able to do that so Walking neighborhoods with us, holding up signs. You can reach out and do that. That was a long answer to your short question, but we're in that final two weeks. So it's like, man, all this yeah. stuff, right? It's this whole full afterburner, sprint to the finish line, you know, saturate, get it all out there for everybody. Highlight the differences between me and my opponent, you know, kind of stuff so people understand that and stay positive. I'm not going to go negative on these things. I'm, you asked, and so I gave you examples of what happened, but I'm going to stay positive, man, because it's, it's about all this stuff. It's about all those ideas, right? It's about yeah. the different things we should be focused on and what matters for our future. And the state, and as I've told you before, for Michelle and I, this is about our kids and our grandkids. We consider it a privilege to serve, um, and we will serve again if the people send us back. Um, but this is about those things and our kids and grandkids, because I want them to stay here, and I want them to have opportunities. But some of this stuff's got to be fixed. 
and put the state on the right path. And if we can do that, well, we've got a bright future. I mean, especially with the resources we have, we just need to we need to get our act together and our house in order. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Senator Mike Schauer, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Wish you nothing but success in your bid for re-election. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate you tuning into the Must Read Alaska show. If you listen to the Must Read Alaska show, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, the list goes on, and you enjoy it, make sure to give us a review. We do all this content free for everybody to consume, whether it's a podcast or the website or social media. Everything's free to consume. And so we just ask that you give us a five-star review. And if you really, really like our stuff, go to mustbealaska.com. On the right-hand side there, there's a donate button. We survive off of $20 donations, $100 donations, $50 donations. We're not funded by some big uh, nonprofit dark money web action going on. We're just funded by the good old fo the folks of Alaska that care about uh, conservative news and truthful reporting. So until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere Alaska. I'll see you tomorrow morning, folks, with Junior, the Chief Equity Officer for the City of Anchorage. Thanks, Senator. Yeah, my pleasure.